Well, he is king over all the earth, and we're so thankful for his defense and his work in our lives. Let's open in prayer as we look to him now and, and prepare our hearts to turn to the word. Oh, dear Lord, we're so thankful that you're at work in our lives, and whatever messes we may be facing throughout the week, and even maybe even this morning, heavy on our hearts, we just, we just give to you now and pray that your work would continue even as we look to your word and that your spirit would apply to our hearts in a way that we are encouraged and that we're strengthened in a way that would lead to real change even in our own lives that would glorify you and that would be reflective of your goodness and your greatness. And so we just commit our hearts the best way we know how to you in this, even in this moment, in, in your son's name, amen. Well, if we haven't met, I apologize. We're working on that. My name is Pastor Andrew. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here, and I'd ask you to turn to Titus chapter 2, and and I just got to say, this is an amazing chapter. We're going to kind of do an overview of it as well as hit some key areas, but we're going to need to stay in Titus because we're going to be looking at chapter 1, chapter 2, and and I'd ask you to follow along with me there. As you can see, we're looking at mentoring, and even as we look at the title up on the screen, Mentoring Matters, that's a statement as much as maybe a description, because there's a lot of aspects maybe to mentoring that, that Titus actually talks about here, and there's some nitty-gritty that we won't have time to dive into, because in part where we can talk about the, the matters of mentoring, and I'm inclined to do that, you know, the details and how it's connected and the, the different words and, and how they're phrased and what he means by that, mentoring doesn't necessarily matter until it matters to us. And I'm a young guy, and I know there's been people in my life God's put there that I didn't know about but realized later and how much of a blessing that was. Maybe you have some in your life. Maybe you're that person in somebody's life. Maybe you're one like me who's looking to those to be in their life in a way that you can grow from. But either way, as we're looking at this, it's an aspect of God's work in our life and an investment for those that are called to this work. So this morning, as we, as we look at Titus chapter 2 and, and think through some of these basic things, a big question in, in my mind is when does mentoring matter? Because if you read, and I'd encourage you, I don't have time this morning, Titus chapter 1 all the way through to Titus chapter 2 and even 3, read the whole book and just kind of meditate on each step. You realize that there's bigger things in this book than just an aspect of, of mentoring. And, and, you know, as Pastor Jim said in opening this year, this is a year of opportunity. It's, it still is. This is a year of impact, I hope, as we invest and look for investment, and which will lead to growth. And, and I could sit here, and, I, and I'm inclined to do this, talk about family ministries, the basic principles, that families matter. And this morning, if we were to look around, we realize that families come in a lot of different forms right now. There's a lot of brokenness in our world. There's grandparents raising grandkids, there's single parents, there's those that have been rooted in Christianity and, and the truth of God's word for their whole life, and there are many that are just learning this, and they're trying to fix a broken life and, and seeking the Lord and, and how to do that. So we're not coming into this area in, in some sort of, of, of perfect world or this idea that everything is just fine when we say that the basics of family ministry is actually the family. Not the school system, not the government, not your next door neighbors. The families matter, and dads 
are central to that. And as a church, as a family of God, encouraging and investing in, in families and dads and kids, wherever they may be, however that situation may find them, is, is part of what God has called us to as a church. Not something that just happens. It's not something that'll just happen on its own. And, and here in Titus, we see older instructing you younger and listen i'm a younger guy and i can say younger guys and gals it's up to us to want to listen too it's up to us to seek that investment as well you know when i ask this question when does mentoring matter and 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 what does what does this look like when it does i think of actually it's interesting um as i look at the, the screen there, you, you see Thomas Paine. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he, he was one of the founding fathers, early writers. And, and when he, just before uh, George Washington crossed to Delaware, December 24th, Christmas Eve, um, the American crisis, number one, was read to the troops. Of course, they crossed to Delaware and they won the battle. But as he, as he wrote, he summed up some aspects of this. He says, what we obtained too cheaply making sure I'm following along. What we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. And as a, as, a, as a man who was born in a Christian home, it's easy for me to take for granted what a Christian home looks like. And, and many of us that have been in church for a long time, sometimes we take for granted what, what relationships look like. He was, of course, talking about aspects of political thought and, and he went on to say it's dearness only that gives everything its value now we know that god actually is the one that sets value we're not taking away from that but what's the value to me until i value it and when god calls on my life in his word and i value that i am wise but until i do unfortunately it doesn't have impact of course he goes on to say that heaven knows how to set a proper price. And he talks about freedom. And he says it would indeed be a strange thing for such a celestial or heavenly thing as freedom. And if you know your New Testament, you know Paul spoke a lot about freedom in Christ. Freedom from sin, no longer a slave. Freedom to serve and have true investment that lasts through eternity, not just a moment. So much bigger even than political freedom. He's not making a theological argument, but he's making a an observant one that that heaven values freedom and it should be highly rated but this is so much bigger than just our freedom in this country or what he valued and those men some which crossed that river for the last time being able to even experience this life because they gave their life so much bigger than that is this call on ours in regards to valuing at the proper time and not after. You know, when our kids are old and headed in different directions, when we as young men have gone and failed and failed and finally said, okay, maybe it's time to learn. Or maybe as we age and check out because we can. I mean, we've worked 40, 50 years and, and we can retire and sit back, right? We're broken by the things around us. When we begin to value this, we begin to see its impact. So when? when? When do we see this? Growth. 
growth in our life and I want to grow, it matters to me versus all the things in the world. And, and I want that greater freedom, especially as a young guy when I realized that godly man, and I'll tell you, I, I sat in a prayer meeting once when I was in my 20s and there was a man, uh, he wasn't a, a sophisticated man, however you judge humanly speaking one man to another, but he was a man who loved God and, and he wasn't an educated man, but when he prayed, I'll tell you what, it moved my heart. And as a young guy, I thought to myself, and I, I, was, I was fixing things in my life, and, and I thought, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I, I want to have that, not fancy vocabulary, but depth of love for God and confidence in who he is. I began to value in that moment what that, that man had already. And you know what he did? He was an investor. He had realized freedom in his life to serve the Lord with all his heart. And he was one who was careful in many informal ways to invest in us. And I hope and pray. Now listen, I want to say I'm I'm very blessed. When I listen to stories already, and we've only been here for a short amount of time, I've already heard stories of people saying, listen, there was this family, there was this couple, and they invested in my kids. I've already seen it as I've watched people looking to invest. So I'm not sitting here saying we're not doing this, but as we look at family ministries, the heart of what we're looking to do is that continual investment and looking for growth on both sides. And as we ask this question, I want to ask you this morning, think through your own life. Who's impacted it? Who has impacted where you are today? I hope and pray every single one of us can think of some positive examples. If you're one here this morning who maybe the first one was a negative one, understand that it's not all negative. The truth is sometimes those impacts aren't all positive. And as we think about whose life has impact, you know it's not just formal. When we talk about mentoring, it's not like you sit down and, and, and we have this formal relationship where it, it can be that way. Maybe it works for you. A lot of it's informal. It's life on life. Those that have been there, and you've probably known it, you had a relationship, but they're the people that, that showed up when you needed it and you realized it was something more than just, hi, I'm at church, how are you? Nice to see you, had a nice week. I'll talk to you again later. Because they cared. Whose life has impact? And and this is another thing I want to say. Sometimes we can get here and say, well, other people may have impact, but my life doesn't. I think of Einstein, like physics, and he had this picture of, of the universe where it's a fabric of time and space. And he said gravity is just like objects drop in the fabric and it pulls and distorts time to pull people. Listen, we all have weight. Our very existence has impact. And there are things that are connected to our lives that whether we do X or Y, we are affecting no matter what. We all have impact. The question is, is it eternal? Is it directed toward things that God would have us grow in? Mentoring is, is something that has impact. Relations are something that has impact. Even those negative things in your life, those things maybe that you're hurt by and you're scarred by, the thing that made it so hurtful in some ways is because it was personal, it was purposeful, it wasn't an accident. And it was something that was primary in that relationship. And while that's the negative side, the flip side is the positive. Listen, when you are personal with people, 
And when you're purposeful, you want to be there. You're not just going through life and it's something that defines that relationship. It's going to have impact for the good. And we can be a part of that. Now, really quickly, when I say mentoring, I'd be remiss. I would be um, not very careful if I didn't at least define it. Maybe uh, that's helpful. It's formal, informal. There's a lot of articles out there if you're interested. It's not just a a Christian thing. Business, if you're going to be good in business, if you're going to go in different fields, it's actually built into certain fields like medicine. But it's where you have this opportunity for growth and it's focused on growth on both sides and it's sad that in business or in medicine there would be those that would look and say listen i want to be that guy i want to be in that field and so i'm going to submit to this process of growth and and then i look at our own hearts as believers young people knowing that eternity is so important and yet not having that same conviction as maybe our pursuit in our professions It's that pursuit of even the junior member understanding the need and the senior member being willing to spend the time to invest. It's that imparting value. It's leadership. Now, when we realize this, it's nothing new. I I understand it. I could go through the details even of Titus 2, and it's, it's, it's nothing probably new. But it gets really practical when we start asking ourselves in our own life, what voices am I listening to? And I don't have the answer. You would have to ask that question in your own heart and life. What are the things I'm listening to? What are the examples I'm, I'm looking to? What am I following after? What am I looking to invest in on the other side? Who am I standing with is so important. And as we look around, all these relationships here this morning is doing life together in various ways, but being purposeful, and that means that even that impact can grow. As we look at this passage, and let's turn our attention to that, if you wouldn't mind. And again, like I said, I don't, we don't have time to go through the entire second chapter or even the first chapter in, in any sort of detail. But if you do, and I'd ask you to look at this, you're going to see some key words. And I, when I first thought about putting this together, I was thinking, man, we've got to focus on this. Because teaching is over and over and over again a word. Doctrine, over and over and over again. You're going to see the word self-control. Young guys, the only instruction that Titus has given to tell us is teach them to be self-controlled. All right? You're going to see some themes, but a big one is leadership. And the heart of what we're going to look at this morning, which is why I started with why, is the gospel. Because of who God is and what he's done, this is why we need to invest. This is why this matters. And of course, family. But as we look at this whole passage in context of of everything, I just want to break it down into um, a couple of things. And as you look at this central teaching, you'll see that and this might cut a little hard for us. This was a corrective book written to Titus to give him authority to correct things, right? And, and it cuts hard. Not that Titus needed to know some of these things, but if anyone challenged him in, in correcting these things in Crete, uh, that, that he would be able to have some, some authority here. But it's, it's something that other than mentoring, we wouldn't necessarily connect. But living, living out truth is not optional, is the central thing from the very beginning all the way to the end, It's not an option for leadership. It's not an option for those in the church. It's not an option for you, Titus. But when I read this, and when you you come back to the heart of this, you realize in our own hearts and life, when I read this, I realize 
I need to grow in this. My life and, and, and how I live it as a mentee or a mentor, as a, as a Christian, even just in the workplace and in, in my family, I need to grow. And I need that input. I need it from the Word. And I need it from others. And again, I, I'm saying this in hopes that you read these chapters carefully, maybe even this afternoon. I'm sure you'll see this to be the case as Paul hammers home the truth is non-negotiable and living it is not an option. And listen, this is what you need to do and this is how you need to pass it on. It's so strong at the end of chapter 2. He says, and if anybody, if anybody looks to talk around you, if anyone looks to refute you, you just keep on teaching the truth. You refute them with, with truth. So as we, as we do look at this this morning, I want to break it down just very quickly. If you're taking notes, this is the pattern we're going to follow. And we see a couple of things in the first part, certainly. Looking at the heart of the matter, the why of the matter is just r- grappling with the reality that there's this truth and tension. And we feel the tension in this world that tells us how to raise our kids and, or have others raise them for us. There's this pull on us young people that, you know, you need to develop your career and your life and, and maybe the, the, the family sacrificed on the altar of the future. You know, there's all these things we could go through and look at every aspect and realize even as we look at this word this morning, we come with this truth intention. And, and what Paul does is he brings clarity to this chaos. The first century world was just as difficult and just as broken in some of the exact same ways. And we'll focus on, of course, missional mentoring because while we could focus on that if we don't have it connected, it's just another program. It's just another good idea. It's just another institution. And that's not even what Paul was looking to drive home. So as we do we look at this this morning, let's just look at this truth, this, the truth intention as a whole. And, and what I'll ask you to do is kind of read along with me as we look at this um, and, and we start in verse 11. And you might say, why are we in verse 11? We're in verse 11 because we have this, this for word. That word at the beginning, it says, for the grace of God. You see, he just unpacked what he should teach old men and, and, the, and the older women and the younger women and all the way down the slaves in verse 9. And, and then what he does is he, he says, for, this is this reason why is it, the context here, why is it that old men all the way down to slaves should be adorning the doctrine of God in everything? This is the heart why that we need to make sure we constantly remember because of what God has done. And this is what God has done. Not anybody else, not anybody in the world, but God, the grace of God has appeared, this is an action, so we have the grace of God and it has appeared and it has brung or brought salvation, it is bringing salvation for all people. And notice the action. The grace of God is, cha- is, is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It is the grace of God that is t- training us as a whole. And I want to point out, this is Paul This is Titus. You see, Paul, as he writes to Titus, is pulling himself into this. This is you and and, and this is me. This is something that that encompasses all of us. That that continues and, and is progressive. Training us to do what? The grace of God is the one training us to live. And there's that word again. You'll see it over and over in chapter two. Self controlled and upright. Self controlled 
and godly lives in this present age. You see, Paul isn't writing in some sort of fairy tale. Crete was a rough place. The first century world was a rough place. And all the debauchery and all the struggles and, and some of the worst that we don't even see today were practiced regularly and condoned. I mean, Crete was such a hard place that they would actually tell people in the first century that, that um, they had the tomb of Zeus who couldn't die. And they would look you right in the eye and say, well, we know we have it because it's right over there. I mean, the epitome of confidence, man, right? They would lie to you right to your face and, and, and with so confidence, you start to doubt yourself. It's a wicked time and a tough place. And this is something that continues and continues because Paul even said, it's training us, it's training me, it's training you. We're growing in this. I'm growing in this. We all are growing in this. And this is the grace of God that has, has wrapped us into this process of transformation, which is true even for people in Crete, who as you read chapter 1 of, Tim, of Titus you see, don't have a great reputation, even by their own account. I'm sure you'll see that as you look at that later. But as we look at this process, as we look at this reality, this tension, he calls us, if we continue to read, and you can follow along with me if you would, in Titus chapter 2, to live these self-controlled lives, to grow in this while we wait for our blessed hope. So one of the aspects of this, this tension is living now in this process of, of imperfection, in this continuation of growth. And listen, as we realize our need for this, we're going to be looking for input for it. And, and all the while, though, not focused on, man, I failed again, or I'm just not enough, or I don't have the right mentor, or I don't have the right mentee, or I just don't have the right church, or all these different things but looking ahead, listen, I am looking to grow and I'm looking forward for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that our hope? Because sometimes in this world, one of the things that, that is the greatest tension is our hearts are constantly pulled away to everything but Christ. And sadly, one of the greatest trials in our lives are those that rock our families and then we start really praying. We've got to be rooted in advance, living, looking forward, but also living in the love of Christ. Knows as we continue to read, we're waiting for our blessed hope in this time, and we do have a great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. But look what he did. He gave himself for us. We've got to constantly be living these gospel-centered lives. And he gave himself not just as some sort of flippant thing, but specifically to redeem us from lawlessness. Greater than what Thomas Paine was talking about in this temporal political freedom which men gave their lives to purchase. Christ gave his life for us to purchase freedom whether we live or die whether we're free or slave. And yet so often we count that very lightly in part because we have gained it cheaply. It was a gift, which is greatest blessing but can also be difficult to live out. 
Many things tied to that as we continue to read. Redeem us from lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We need to be rooted in, in that love of Christ while we wait and look forward. And all the while, this is the challenge, right? We sit here and we say, I want that. And we go home and we say, I need this. But we have this internal tension in our own heart and life. And we know Galatians 5, this tension that continues with us because the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And, and, and they're opposed to one another. And, and what happens is we end up doing the things that we don't want to do or keeps us from doing the things we wish we could do. And it brings us back to humble submission again. Lord, I, I just need this. I, I need you to change me. And I need one another to come alongside to be a part of that. I bring us to Galatians 5, by the way, because it's tied to this issue of self-control. Because we're going to ask the question, when, when Paul says, teach them to be self-controlled, what does that mean? Well, I think we see that here in Galatians 5. I'd ask you to keep reading and you can see the fruits of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. It's being controlled by the Spirit. It's being controlled by the Word. And, and looking at the Word and saying, is this what lines up with my life? That's the second passage I'd ask you to maybe read through this afternoon. But there's this tension. Now you came here this morning and, and probably sensed that tension in your own heart and soul with your own life this past week, maybe looking back. But but one of the other big ones, and this ties in the context of Titus chapter 1 and 2, is the fact that there are false leaders out there. It's not just all internal, it's not just all internal struggle, but listen, we be very careful because there are those that are leading many astray. And this is the context when he says, listen, Titus, you teach what accords with sound doctrine because there are those that are not, and it's subtly changed to be man-centered, to be worldly-centered, to be not Sound in any way is God-centered. And as you look at that, you, you see that there are many. And if we were to be honest with us ourselves today in this world, there still are many, aren't there? Nothing's really changed. And, and the worst of it here, if you look at, and we're tying this into family ministries, you see even then the impact on the family was negative. Maybe even staying with these different families, affecting these different House churches, we're not really sure, but nothing's different. What, what are we filling our homes with? What, what leadership are we, we, we serving or looking to? Are they driven by the word? Are they modeling godliness? These are very important questions. We are following something. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. I say this of leadership, but even as I say this, there's a nagging question in my own mind. Maybe it's because I'm always asking questions of myself, but God forbid that this would be me, right? That, that I would profess to know God, but in my works deny Him. I want to ask, is that true this morning of any one of us in the workplace, out of the home, when parents aren't watching? I don't know. I pray not. I got good news. You guys ready for some good news? <laughs> Paul brings clarity in chaos. We live in a chaotic world. 
And that was true in the first century. And what he does here is he, he, he lines up the truth in such a way that it's noble and, and it's, it's something that we can rest in and it's rooted in certainly the, the truth itself. And, and as we look at that, it's, it's, it starts in leadership, clarity in leadership. And as I say this, we may sit here and say, listen, pastor, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a leader. And even some younger folks, maybe even some teens as they think about this, what kind of a leader am I? Listen, we are all leaders because we all have impact. We all have influence, maybe in a different place and maybe growing in, in different levels. But the clarity of leadership applies to all of us. And if you're sitting here saying, well, I, my leadership structure is broken. I'm a single mom. Don't forget that, that Timothy was instructed by his, his mother and grandmother in the things of, of the Lord. You don't live in some sort of fairy tale here in the, in the pastoral epistles. But he does outline a number of things. And it starts with servanthood. And Pastor Jim mentioned this last week. And if you were to read the pastoral epistles, you'll see this over and over again. And one of the, the main things here, even as you look at um, verse or chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 of, of, of Paul's description. He could go through a long list of all the different things that he was, but the greatest thing and the most important thing that he lists first here in this is that he was a servant of God. And, and even as we read through the rest of chapter 2, there's some things in there that you'll probably hear people say, well, I, I, I don't like what the Bible says about that. I don't like that this is what it's talking about. I don't think it really matters. Listen, if we are not a servant of God first, we're going to get all wrong. And Paul, who is a much greater man than certainly I am, his chiefest or first description is, listen, I'm a servant of God. And the heart of mentoring, if it's going to be biblical mentoring, if it's going to be impactful for eternity, if it's going to be something, even us, as we look to have the older instruct us as younger guys, we, we have to come to, to that place where we say, like Paul, listen, I'm a servant of God, and because I want to be the best servant, I need to grow. Because I, I want to be the best servant, I need to invest. This is first, not for others, not because Pastor Andrew preached a sermon, not because we got a program, but I want to please the Lord in all that I do. Leadership starts with service. If we can't serve, I'm, we're not going to be good leaders. That's a very interesting thing, maybe for another time to think through. But it's also driven by personal responsibility. Another thing that Pastor Jim highlighted last week, I love this. It, you know, in, in, the, in the, the sea of false teachers and, and establishing godly leadership in the churches there in Crete, you have chapter 2 that opens in the first verse with just this amazing statement. So often we are looking around at everybody else and saying this and that about our circumstances. And Paul just outlined the circumstances for, for, um, for Titus in a way, in a battleground for the truth. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, it doesn't matter what the false teachers are doing. It doesn't matter what everybody's teaching. It doesn't matter if the Cretans are these rough people, mercenaries of the first century world. Very interesting. The, this, this, he said, listen, you do this. But as for you, personal responsibility brings, 
you know, clarity of the chaos because it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. I'm the one that stands before the Lord. Yes, maybe somebody's doing this. Maybe somebody's doing that. Maybe this church, that church, that person. But listen, God has called me to do this and it flows down through. This isn't just a Titus. But as for you, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. And what is that? Listen, you are conveying that personal responsibility to older men. Your conduct matters. Wisdom follows age, but not always. Foolish young men can grow old still foolish. There's a personal responsibility Older men, how does your life line up with these words? Older women, what are you spending your time? The kids are out of the house. What are you spending your time doing? Where is your life directed? Younger women, younger men, servants, all of us. And we're all leaders. If you look at this, you realize in every context, you can see the impact of the individual living for Christ influencing those around them. I'm responsible before the Lord. Every single one of us, and I would be wrong, even as you share the gospel with people, what are we sharing? Responsibility before the Lord and the offer of salvation and forgiveness and transformation in Christ. If we miss that, it'll still be very, very, very crazy confused world and I don't know about you but when I look at these things I come back to this like I need to grow I need to grow in this myself what's also great as we continue as you look at Titus chapter 2 you see this is in community again as you look at these verses that we together are all in this one direction this one fight this one point of investment our blessed hope verse 14 gave himself for us to redeem us and all those plurals that Paul pulls himself into. We're not alone. We're not supposed to be alone. We're not called to this alone. Again, nothing new. But don't we tend to be isolated quickly? Maybe even as we fail, we don't reach out. Maybe as we struggle, we're told that, you know, You are responsible and you're terrible and there's nothing you can do about it. Those are lies. We're in this together and we need to be. Which is why we have missional mentoring. And if I were to spend all this time and just talk about nuances of this mentoring aspect, disconnected from the realities that Paul even had it set, I think we'd lose some of the impact of what he's saying here. But let's take a look at that because that is important. Now, I I want to point out if you're looking for mentor as a word in the text, it's not there. It's the English word and the thing that we look back and describe what he's telling us to do. And as we look at that, just a couple really big things. This is missional. In other words, we're not doing this to fill seats. We're not doing this. Listen, as parents, we can conform. We can force conformity on our children. In other words, we make them really good moralists but maybe not really good disciples of Christ. What does that mean? They do the right thing because they want to do the right thing versus doing the right thing because they serve a God who saved them and they love with all their heart. 
Missional is internal first that goes to the external, not just conformity from the outside in. It's, it's discipleship. It's the extension of the Great Commission. What he's telling Titus to do is to extend what Christ told his disciples to be about, and that is the mission of the church, which hasn't changed to this day. And like I said before, we're not meant to do this alone. You look at Ephesians chapter 4, the body is knit together, the Christ, Christ is the head, and the body is knit together and is built up as each member functions as it ought. My kids, my kids need every single one of you in this church. This church needs my kids. We need one another, and sometimes we miss that. It's a part of God's gift to us to lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. This is investment time. These are where those treasures are laid up. The church family, the individual family, absolutely, but collectively God's family. So as we look at this, right at the beginning, you see the first engagement at the very beginning, you know, as you look at, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, you see Paul's investment in Titus. And Titus was a guy who was a tough guy. Paul sent him to Corinth. Paul sent him to, to Crete. This is later in Paul's life. This is probably closer to the end of his ministry, before probably 2 Timothy. But Paul had, had mentored Titus, and he was one of those guys who he could count on who is godly, who is faithful. And so even in the opening verse, you see this mentoring relationship because what you could say, wait a minute, Pastor, I, all I see is, is older women instructing younger women. Is this really just a passage about older women instructing younger women? No, every part of it is about the older in the faith, the older in age even passing down to those that are younger, those that are growing. So we can't miss that. And so the first part here is you look, and let's just read through if you would. I'd kind of add as we go. Paul and Titus teach what accords with sound doctrine, but also as you look at the older men, what is he supposed to say? Older men are to be sober-minded. That's clear-headed in the battle, in the game. Dignified, that means worthy of respect. Self-controlled, and this is interesting, the word here is, is used in the pastoral epistles, it's that of being prudent, thoughtful, and like I said earlier, you might ask, as this word is used over and over again, what does that mean? By the power of my own flesh? Yeah, we know that doesn't work, right? Self-controlled, that I would get what I want in life, discipline, self-help book, you know, the whole section there in the library, no, this is tied to controlled by God's will, by the power of His Spirit, informed by His Word. Wisdom and accountability and privilege is what this self-controlled reality is, is our call this morning. Even looking at these things that are grouped together, old men are to be sound in the faith, which is in contrast to chapter 1, those that teach false doctrine, sound in love. Listen, your heart, your heart matters. Investing and caring for those around you, for their good, not your own. It's not self-serving. And notice steadfastness. And this is an aspect of older men who love the Lord that us younger guys are just learning. Listen, we need to be told 
that God really does have this. And let me tell you why. Because not only do I have his word, but, but he's been with me. Listen, perseverance is something that only time and age can prove. That's his call here. We need that as younger men. And older women, let's, let's see how he ties that in even here in verse 3. Likewise are to be reverent in behavior. There's a lot of parallels. In fact, if you look at this, godliness looks a lot the same no matter what age or who or gender you may be. But he's clear. So no one can say, well, maybe I don't have to live like that. Reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Not slaves to much wine. Now, now listen, just because it's not listed here doesn't mean it isn't important. And just because it is listed here doesn't mean it's the only exclusive thing he cares about. These are the things that were struggles certainly and have been even to this day, possibly even as the kids are out of the house and, and, and you have the whole goods of the house to your disposal. What are you going to do, especially at the time? What are they to do instead? They're not to do this, but in verse 3, they are to teach what is good. I just want to say we're all teaching. We're all impacting. And notice the purpose. If you look at verse 4, and so. There's a purpose to this. You see, it's all tied together. The impact here specifically is in training. That's encouraging and urging young women to love their husbands and children. And we say that's an odd thing. But listen, you know, in marriage, it, it gets tough sometimes. Listen, you need to, to love them. Not just because you have that emotion, but because it's a commitment. Life is hard sometimes. Young mothers need encouragement. You know, I just look at the kids that are goofing off and saying, well, those, those kids are a real handful. They need encouragement. Train them. Encourage them in these difficult times. Young women love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. And if you have a translation that says staying at home, I just want to say working at home is probably the better one. That's the primary sphere of, of responsibility and the, the emphasis there is being busy about that primary sphere of responsibility. Proverbs 31 says you're not chained to the, the, the stove, so to speak, but busy about this aspect of responsibility. Kind, Submissive to your own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. We see this instruction passed down to, to the young men, to the old men, to the young women, to the old women, and even down to those that are slaves, which we struggle with. And that's a whole other sermon, maybe this, this reality of slavery in, in the New Testament but it is a reality. And, and as you, you look what it says, bond servants are to be su- submissive to their own masters in everything. Well-pleasing. Like if there's, if there's ever a time to say, well, they don't have to, to be godly, right? Because of this. No, it was, notice what it says, verse 10. It was so that they would be in everything, some, uh, in everything that they do, adorning the doctrine of God, our Savior, again, Paul, a bondservant of Christ. I know this is pretty straightforward in certain ways, and there's a lot of details here, but the biggest thing is understanding the flow of instruction, the flow of growth. This is real life. This is real life. This is where we're at. This is where each one of us in this 
building this morning, those watching online are at. God doesn't pull punches. There are real struggles. It's real life discipleship. What would God have us do? Let's do this together. Let's honor what he has done for us. And if you look at any of the writing, even in secular circles about mentoring, it's, it's me first. It models what God would have us do. I can't impart to you what I'm not doing. It models growth. And it's spiritually focused. It's not conformity to the external. It's easy to have these relationships where we have a friendship and we have a good time and we do good things. But maybe that aspect of serving the Lord with all our heart is absent from that. The spiritual eternal side is, is not there. And sometimes we forget it is about truth. And that's the center of what he says over and over again here in Titus. It is about truth. It is about doctrine. And our, our living and our investing in one another is reflective of that at every stage. Truth matters. And living it matters. And we could go on and on. It's, it's personal. It's relational. It's intentional. We could put a lot of O's in there. But I would rather just sum it up by saying it's got to be personal. It starts with me. And starts with those points that I can invest in personally. It's got to be purposeful. Listen, if I am not purposeful in eternal investment, it's not going to happen. I could have good friendships and relationships, but not eternal ones. And it's got to be primary. Not something that we do just when we have the opportunity or when it happens. But it's what defines our life. God has placed us here in this church, in this time, in this culture, in these families, even the broken ones. We are here for a reason. This is the mission he's called us to. And just a couple questions this morning. And then maybe you've already asked them yourself. But listen, we've got to ask personally. Each one of us is in a different place. And as we've asked some questions, maybe you've had some answers come to mind, but if you haven't already, all of this is meaningless if we don't ask that first question, where am I? And not what people think, not what people see, not what we want people to believe, but personally, really, am I a servant of, of God first? Am I really looking to invest Where's the direction? When I ask those questions, who am I listening to? Where are those voices that I am constantly soaking in? Who am I standing with? Who am I looking? Listen, we will be like those we are around, right? Do I even know Christ personally as my Savior? Listen, this morning, if that's not the case, all of this is moot without being sure of that. And all of us that know that, drives everything that we do is eternal investments. We've got to be purposeful about it and the directions that we're headed and what we're passing on because we are passing on something. No decision is still a decision. Inaction is still an action. We impact those around us. I just want to ask, what are we passing on to those around us? Who am I sharing my life with? The biggest one this morning, I'll just leave us with this. Each one of us in a different place, young, old, 
maybe from a tough situation, or maybe like mine, born into a Christian family, always a member of a church, or maybe just coming. God is calling us personally, nobody else, to respond to his truth, to walk in the light of his sacrificial love he gave himself for us to redeem us from slavery in this world and sin. What's the next step for each one of us as we live out truth? Let's, let's close in prayer as we think about that. Heavenly Father, you know each heart here. And while we can be outwardly free in so many ways, we can still be so inwardly enslaved. And maybe we feel that way at times. We just come to you. We know that you are the deliverer 